Hello, and welcome to the Pricing for the Planet podcast, the podcast that explores the intersection of business and sustainability. Today, I'm super excited because at Pricing for the Planet, we have one conviction. We believe that actually the best way to scale sustainability is through its monetization. And today, I'm with kind of like an expert, a wizard around, you know, pricing and monetization. And I know that we share this belief that, you know, monetization of sustainability is super important. So, Ray, thank you so much for being here. Can you introduce yourself? Of course. My name is Ray Florio. I serve as managing partner for Circana's uh, growth consulting practice. We were formerly known as IRI, and then uh, we've since rebranded, and we actually have a larger focus, not just across CPG, but across all general merchandise categories as well. And prior to my 10 years in this role, I spent about 10 years as part of Accenture in the strategy practice, focusing on pricing and profit optimization as well as what we called at the time enterprise transformation, which included changing everything from a company's business model on down to build it for the most success that it could find. Awesome. And we talked to, when we are prepping for this podcast, we were talking about, you know, like the importance uh, and how crucial it is to actually have a good education about, you know, monetizing sustainability, how to transform sustainability into a competitive edge can can you share a little bit more about you know your 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 way of looking at it yeah and i would tend to agree that sustainability has to be seen as a business multiplier and competitive edge now obviously if you can't tell by the accent out there i'm based in the us as are a good proportion of my clients so know that i do take a bit of a us centric view I don't know if you've seen it or not, but over the summer, Pew Research did a survey with U.S. adults to see what they feel are the top issues on which they want the government to focus. Now, overall, 75% chose strengthening the economy and only 37% picked climate change. The economy also ranked higher than climate across both major political parties. Essentially, What that means is that when sustainability happens at the expense of business or stifles the economy, people are not going to be happy. On the other hand, if it's something that helps drive appeal and preference amongst consumers and we can prove it out, that can only be a good thing. However, having said that, we need to be very careful in choosing what we believe drives appeal and preference amongst consumers, especially now. I'll put it simply, we're in a bit of a rough patch economically, as after inflation, we now seem to be in a period of stagnation, and everyone's wallet is stretched. That's why so many are prioritizing strengthening the economy. Now, from a sustainability perspective, there is also a sense of exhaustion creeping in. Since 2020, many things have changed. That's an understatement of anything. But some consumers are starting to think of sustainability as all part and parcel of, and you're going to laugh when I say this, but corporate and government leadership emitting tons of CO2, flying private jets to plan out how they're going to ban grocery bags, plastic straws, and gas stoves. And the timing is right for Davos as well on that one. Now, 
all of those are receiving their fair share of negative press. And we're now seeing a growing share of consumer feedback on, let's call them the less well-designed sustainability efforts that include commentary such as, that's nice, but I just want you to focus on making hot sauce all the way to pledging to never buy the brand again because they felt they were getting lectured to. If you fall into that trap, you've created a business divisor. So the key is really going to sit with your ability to make sustainability appealing to a very broad base of end consumers in this changing environment with so many polarized outlooks. And I know that Super. was long. So no, feel free to cut me off in the future answers as well if you want me to go into anything in more detail. No, no, it's super interesting. Actually, I didn't have those numbers and I'm sure all the listeners would really appreciate kind of like the, you know, the, the very, you know, very detailed response. So, so I really appreciate that. Thanks a lot, uh, Ray. And, and so, so question for you. So, so you are a big pricing expert and, and professional. How do you envision monetizing sustainability? So I think the interesting piece on this is I look at it as message and messenger. If you think about many of the sustainability efforts in terms of message, I feel like what makes them fall short is that they're focused on process, not outcome. You think about many that speak about, oh, we're committed to carbon reduction. We're committed to, let's say, reducing plastics in the ocean. What does that actually mean, though, for me? Okay. Let's say I'm living in South Florida. Do I want to hear that or do I want to hear about the outcome being pristine beaches? If I'm in the West Coast, well, I want to know that in the Pacific, my children and grandchildren will be able to, to swim with the sea turtles in the future. If I'm in the Northeast, I want to hear that fisheries will continue to thrive. That's part of the message. I think the other piece is the messenger itself. Now, this is probably uh, getting a little bit into the controversial side, but I feel like there have been some efforts that have not been thought through and that sustainability as a whole gets a bad rap for. If you think about it, now, there's been some recent press about uh, Chicago with electric vehicles. The batteries weren't able to start in the cold weather, but I even think before that, when there were brownouts and blackouts in California. Did you ever see the pictures and videos of people in electric vehicles actually towing gasoline powered generators behind the car to be able to charge them? Yeah. You're not exactly helping at that point. And so the problem is, if you think about it that way, people were asking, okay, we have a requirement that all vehicles need to be electric by 2035, 2040, whatever the year may be. The natural question becomes, well, will the electric grid support that? And the answer usually is no. Well, then the obvious follow-up is, well, what are we doing to make that happen? Well, we have nothing planned. Well, maybe we should rethink that policy. And unfortunately, what they get blasted as is either someone who doesn't care about the environment or a climate change denier or what have you. And we're actually losing a good chunk of the population that way. So I think uh, it's important to focus on not just that end outcome when you think about monetizing sustainability, 
but also how you deliver the message so that it has broader appeal. Yeah, yeah, the why, the why be behind kind of like your your effort to monetize sustainability is super important. We are, we are trying to to build kind of a framework and pricing for the planet, which is like, you know, what what do we want to you know educate people around, and and one it's like. No, how how do you monetize sustainability? You know, it's new business models, like you, you mentioned, like new ways of charging clients. And then how much, like how, how much can you charge a sustainable project? Why, you know, willingness to pay all those kind of, of tools. And then the, the third piece is why, like why should they buy your product? Like sales development, exactly. marketing, communication. And notice when I gave the examples, I was giving very localized examples to different geographies. That's something I feel really puts the hits the point home because we always think about marketing, tell the people what the benefit is for them, what's in it for me. I think that's something we really need to embrace in the sustainability movement. 100%. And I think you have some, uh, some cases, like you, you've helped some clients really monetize sustainability, right? Yes, absolutely. So I think I'm going to give you examples on both sides. So we work with many, many clients on the topic of adopting messaging, positioning, and claims that best resonate with shoppers. They designed to drive up both the appeal, but also, as you know, the perceived value of the product and the brand. And I think Let's start with one case where we helped a food and beverage manufacturer see what would happen pre-pandemic and also when inflation was at its height, because you want to think about this over a longer term period. Now, things that we looked into range from things like certified B Corporation for its environmental efforts to just a broad term of sustainable packaging, even to more specific biodegradable wrapper all the way to advertising that a certain portion of profits went to environmentally focused charities. Now, you notice these all seem to be more of those process-oriented claims more so than anything else. The unsurprising fact was not a single one resulted in shoppers being willing to pay more in either time period of pre-pandemic or inflation. In fact, in some cases, where they highlighted less packaging for less waste, or even that they made the wrapper with recycled materials, shoppers were actually willing to pay less. And as expected, it grew worse during inflation. They got the impression that, well, this is a cost-saving initiative, pass the cost on to me. Now, the successful example on the flip side, and I'm going to actually even stick to the same industry just for a more apt comparison here. This was a global company that opted for a more localized approach, as I've been speaking about. Now, interestingly enough, that localized approach was not in the action, but how they communicated it. The initiative was reducing the plastic in bottles of beverages. Now, there's an initial investment in changing how the bottle is made, obviously, that carries cost savings on an ongoing basis, though. You have to message it in a way that makes shoppers not look at the item and expect you to pass that on as they did with the other company I mentioned. The way that they advertise it was very regionalized. And I go back to what I was saying before about the shoppers in California versus Florida versus the Northeast. Now, I want to protect confidentiality, but imagine 
speaking to it similar to the way that I did, where it's not about, hey, this is a shorter time for the waste to break down. It puts less uh, waste in our oceans and stuff like that. But specifically in the Western states, they ran those uh, messaging around the sea turtles and having your children be able to see them and swim with them and everything like that. Florida, hey, we're keeping the beaches pristine. We're helping the tourism industry in your local community. New England, obviously, fisheries at the finest. It's not a granular series of minute efforts. You're not going to have a company come out there and say, oh, we're going to plant trees in every single small town in the U.S. But it's just going back to that basic rule of marketing. Tell people unambiguously what's in it for them and do so for something they and their community see and interact with on a very regular basis. Super interesting. And, and, and quick question, because we got this one quite a lot, because I think you mentioned kind of like big, you know, Fortune 2000 type of companies. <laughs> Do you have kind of like advice for like startup owners or like, you know, SMEs leaders? You're going to laugh a little when I start to think about this this way, because there's some odd parallels when that question comes up for whether you're a startup or a small company. Now, you know, I'm the father of young children. You recently became one. You know, there's something about them that's going to be very different for them versus when we were growing up. You remember, like, when you were a child, you'd watch your cartoons, you'd see a host of commercials for the newest toys, some of which were probably based on the cartoons you were watching. If you thought about it, you could create your entire Christmas list from watching TV with your bowl of cereal on a Saturday morning. Now, imagine today that you're a toy manufacturer. You no longer have that outreach mechanism because children now mostly stream whatever they want, when they want. And it's often from decades ago, I find my children watching the shows that I watched growing up. And they do it largely without commercials. Now... Point of all this, it's nice to think about our childhood, but you also have to view it as indicative of a key challenge we're all facing today across all industries. And it can seem daunting to get the word out there, especially as a startup, because you think about how do I actually get people to know about this new company and get out to my new consumers that I want to go to? And if I speak about it in a localized fashion, as I've described, there's a wide variety of outreach mechanisms that you'd potentially have to use there. Here's the good news and the silver lining in all of that. If you are a small startup or a small company, your list of geographies, your list of target customers, it's fairly narrow and focused because it needs to be at that point. And the good news is that additionally, Sponsoring local efforts can actually be a great marketing investment, both for reaching the potential customers and also driving the right perception around your sustainability efforts. Now, I said for if you're a Fortune 500 or Fortune 2000 with a really wide footprint, you can't plant trees in every small town in the U.S. The dynamic for a startup is different. You're at a stage where you have those targeted lists, you can focus your resources on those more localized efforts. And you'll often get the chance to speak to the local community about your commitment to sustainability and how you're helping them. So my advice for them often goes, 
extremely local, but also more with what they can do with community-based efforts more so than anything else. Yeah, I love that. And I think it's kind of a key takeaway from all those ESG reports. It's like you need to really, you know, focus on like local communities, your local ecosystem. And I think the sad part is an entire generation is not used. I mean, our generation, when we went to school, nobody's, we're talking about, you know, like ecosystemic approach and localized marketing. It was more like, yeah, go broad, go, you know, scale up and all that stuff. Well, when you only had four channels of TV, it's hard not to go broad at that point. I know I just sounded really old when I said that too. (laughs) Not at all, uh, Ray. (laughs) I appreciate the lie. (laughs) (laughs) And so one thing, so we, we talked about, you know, like how they can, you know, monetize sustainability and maybe to, to help them out, you know, the big and the small companies what are the biggest challenges they will face by trying to monetize sustainability? Yeah, so I said a little bit about the message and the messenger, but I think one of the other things is if you take a longer-term perspective, there's also a pretty clear answer there. Some of the sustainability initiatives take time to recover the initial investment, whether it's changing around the manufacturing process, it's a large investment in local communities, All things like that may take a few years before you get the payback on it. But as we see from the poll I mentioned, interest doesn't remain particularly high when the economic cycle shifts downward. So if your messaging and appeal is too focused on what works during a boom time, you have a higher risk of your value proposition not holding up until you've paid back the full investment. Now, This is especially the case if the premiums you were achieving for the sustainability efforts were particularly high because people are much more willing to trade off on things that are going to help with stretching their wallet during those poor times. The good news about that with that more localized approach, you can mitigate some of that risk. But by the same token, you need to be sure that what we're addressing are not issues that really fall off the radar as soon as the local population's wallet empties. Super interesting. And because, so you talked, and, and I like your approach to say, you know, don't, don't see, because a lot of people are actually doing or having this idea that, you know, sustainable means charging a premium. And I think a lot of companies are falling into this trap Mm-hmm. Do you have actually examples where you see a, a, willingness, a higher willingness to pay for sustainable products? Yes, we absolutely do. I think um, when I had mentioned the company that uh, actually shaved plastic out of its beverage bottles, it wasn't just the cost savings. They were actually able to charge 10% more when they did that because of that localized messaging. The other thing that I've seen And this often happens with uh, companies that are heavily, heavily involved in types of security wrapping, things of that nature. When they're able to show that the plastics or anything like that will help uh, the local population, typically, I'm going back to the same thing just because it tends to actually be a winning message, how it helps the coastal areas, things like that they are able to actually save not just on uh, the messaging and the packaging itself, but they're able to charge a bit more for it. 
The other things I often see is when you start to see that some portion of the company's profits get reinvested into charities that consumers actually know and care about that aren't doing something in some place they've never been to and never intend to visit, but actually affecting them and their more local community, they actually are willing to open up their wallet and pay more. It's like the traditional way that, hey, you know, your old college reaches out to you for a donation. You're much more willing to give money to them versus anything else that would reach out to you someplace where you didn't go. If you see that uh, the company is also reinvesting in your local area, people are willing to pay more for that. And that has always been a winning message as well. And based on your on your experience, what is kind of like the best or the more the most efficient way to monetize sustainability? Is it to focus on costs and actually pass to the end consumer the savings and you know trying to get a bigger market share, or is it to go premium and trying to charge you know more like a premium because it's more sustainable? Yeah, I find that. Uh... When you charge a premium, particularly if it's a higher premium, you're only going to have a year or two where you can monetize that before the economic cycle hits. If you go with something that has a cost savings in it, but also has that benefit for the environment, it ends up being something where, and I'll give you an example, caps on children's juice bottles. Well, you know what? If we're going to put a sport cap on that you can pull up, push down, uses a lot more plastic than just a simple screw on flat cap. But it also costs us 60 cents more on a six pack to make that happen. Well, what if I switch out from sport caps to flat caps? I have a sustainability message there as well. I'm using less plastic, putting less garbage in the environment. But on top of that, I'm saving 60 cents. I can pass 30 of that onto my consumer base, I have a better value proposition, a better price position. And on top of that, I'm hitting a sustainability message. It's a win-win all around. And yes, that is an actual client example that uh, I can share there. Super interesting. And and, and Red, last question, but probably that, that's my, my, my favorite one. It's like, it's like, you know, it's almost a philosophical question. What is the one thing that most people think they are right about, but in reality, they are mistaken? So I probably alluded to it a little bit earlier, but I think we're too quick to accept one of two fallacies. One is that everyone thinks like we do, or two is that these initiatives have to be polarizing. It's very possible to speak to everyone, but that won't happen if we focus on process and not the benefit for the people. Now, that's a bit of a loaded statement, and I want to go into a little bit more detail, though, because I had mentioned uh, Pew Research in the beginning. One of the things that they also found in that very same research is that 53% of U.S. households believe that human actions have little or no impact on climate change. Now, they're not looking to destroy the planet. In fact, many of them are supportive if you are taking steps to clean up the environment and the like, but you need to reach out to them differently on sustainability efforts. Proportions may vary by country, but there's never a reason to automatically discount that larger percentage of the population. 
Now, the other thing to keep in mind here is I gave commentary on localized messaging. I gave the example of a company that didn't speak about the general reduction in ocean pollution, but gave tailored messaging by region. Notice that in each case, whether it's the pristine beaches, the sea turtles, the fisheries, we're describing an outcome. Reducing ocean pollution is the process by which it happens, but it tends to be more the format you often see companies go with. And it's only going to appeal to those who are already sold on that and know all about what it truly means. Now, I go back to a key takeaway. Don't limit your reach. It all comes back to that. There's so much that we can do if we message things properly and really speak to the whole population, not just the people we already agree with. Super cool. Ray, super interesting. Thank you so much for sharing. For the listeners, where can, can they follow you on LinkedIn? Can they follow your company? Do you have you know, social media channels to, uh, to check out? Of course we do. Uh, we're always uh, providing new thought leadership. We were extremely active throughout the pandemic, throughout inflation, and we continue to be so. Please just look at, up us on circana.com. But more importantly, you can always find me on LinkedIn at Ray Florio. And on top of that, I'm more than happy to chat with anybody who has any questions or wants to discuss the topic further. Awesome. And listeners, if you want to continue this, this learning journey, you can actually follow us on uh, pricingfortheplanet.com. You can actually join. We have a free newsletter uh, where we are sharing every two weeks kind of like the state of the union about, you know, monetizing sustainability, what we see about ESG and all those kind of topics. So it's free. You can join. Um, other than that, we just want to uh, thank you, listeners, for your interest. Thank you for your time and be well. Thank you, everyone.